Hello, I am Pete Real, a high school English and Spanish teacher, an avid reader, and an aspiring writer. Thank you for listening to the Chills at Will podcast, in which we explore the visceral beauty of literature and its connection to our culture, our history, and ourselves. Welcome to Lucky, episode 199 of the Chills of Will podcast. It's a pleasure today to be joined by Jared Beloff. Here's a little bit about Jared. Jared is the author of Who Will Cradle Your Head, which is from ELJ Editions, and that came out in 2023. That'll be the main focus of our conversation today. Jared earned degrees at Rutgers University, a BA in English, Johns Hopkins University, an MA in English Literature, specializing in the novel and romantic slash 18th century literature. He's been an adjunct professor at Queensboro Community College an English teacher and a teacher mentor in, in New York City public schools for 16 years. He's currently a peer reviewer for the Whale Road Review. His poetry can be found in Contrary Magazine, Barron Magazine, KGB Barlet, The Shore, Rise Up Review, Bending Genres, and elsewhere. His work has been nominated for Best of the Net and the Pushcart Prize. He lives with his wife and two daughters in Queens, New York. How are you doing, sir? Great. Thanks for having me, Peter. Well, hey, like we were talking about before we started recording, you're in chill mode as a teacher. Yeah. Not even thinking about school. Starts in about almost like almost a month from now, right? We're recording on yeah. August 10th. Yeah, we have about a uh, little less than a month left. And uh, I up until actually today, I didn't do any thinking at all about school. Yeah, I'm sorry if I'm the one bringing it up now. No, no. I Coincidentally, <laughs> I was I was starting to think about curriculum planning. So it's it's getting it's creeping in. It's creeping right? in. And I'm in it. We started. Uh, we started August first. So, hey, my condolences. <laughs> we love what we do, though, right? Yeah. There you go. There you go. Um, pleasure to talk to you. The 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 collection is incredibly timely. Unfortunately, timely, right? With a lot yeah. about climate change yeah. and such. You know, just talking about Lahaina and Maui and all of that today in the news. But we'll get to that in a bit. I'd love to know about your early reading and writing. I mean, were you were you the library type from a young age? Were you somebody who thought out those books or was that something that came maybe later in life? And also, what were you reading when you were young, younger? Excuse me. I liked reading as a kid. I don't think I was like a super bookworm when I was younger. Um, I don't I really started around seventh grade is when it started to hit. I was assigned. Oddly enough, my, my teacher was like, you need to read a thousand pages in a semester. And okay. I made the weird decision. I'm going to knock it out in as low a number of books as possible. So I picked <laughs> three really large books and, and one of them was the Hobbit and the Hobbit was the gateway into like every fantasy novel that I read for the next five years. Uh-huh. I was really into that. And then in high school, I started, I, I really liked English and uh, started reading. I got, somehow got hold of uh, the hundred most notable novels of the 20th mm-hmm. century, you know, the modern library associations list, mm-hmm. you know, starts with Ulysses and I would just start, okay, what have I read already? Because they've assigned it. Let me see if I can pick off more and more. And I just mm-hmm. kept reading those got to college and became an English major. And yeah, here That's I sweet. am. But 
but now, you know, much more eclectic reader now. And uh, I even venture into, I was very, very much into novels only in high school and college. You know, I'd read poetry when it was assigned, but it was usually like, here's one or two poems, read these poems for yeah, class, yeah. unless it was a poetry class. But even then I wasn't reading whole collections. Sure. And, uh, you know, now I'll read pretty much anything. Hmm. Have you, any of these years, have you done the Sealy Challenge? Yeah, I try. Uh, I think my most successful year was a couple years ago. I read like 20. Okay. And this summer, I, I, I'm not doing the Sealy Challenge because I just can't keep up with it. But I have been reading, been reading, I've read like 17 books since I was off from uh, school. And what I'll do is I'll read like two, two like fiction, nonfiction, and then I'll read a book of poems. And I'll usually do that in a day. Okay. So I've read about seven or eight books of poetry oh, this nice. wow year. i thought you were gonna say that you started when when your teacher uh, said a thousand pages i think you say you started with like war and peace or something like that <laughs> no. but the hobbit's pretty dang close it was off of a list it was like a list of these are the books for seventh graders and sure. I, I don't remember the other two but the hobbit stays with me yeah yeah is there anything psychological there or is it like nah, just it was good to read i mean is there something about like the type of things you read it was like an escape or you know you you're a person who loves to travel and you, you learn about different parts of the world. Or is it just like, ah, this is really interesting to me. I think, I think it became an escape and I always love the psychology of characters and trying to figure them out. And, and uh, especially the ones that are a little troubled, like, why are they, why are they, you know, like Gollum as a figure or um, I, I seem to like the darker characters in the, in the fantasy novels that I read um, because they just, you know, it's easy to, to create a hero that's just like, you know, super virtuous. But it, I was always like, why are you not? What's going on with you? What's, uh -huh. what's happening? Here? And I always felt that there was more roundedness in that because it's like, you know, in a good book, the villain is the one that's got things going on and that you see the cause and effect of life and, and you're thinking mm -hmm. of the character in that yeah. way. Whereas like, unless you have a troubled hero, it's it's pretty clear cut, especially in those those fantasy novels like mm -hmm. here's the that Maybe he doesn't want to do it, but he's good and he has sure. to take on that responsibility. Yeah. Is, is this a safe space? Can I can I admit that I've never read any of The Hobbit nor seen the movies? It, it's okay. I won't. I'll, I'll judge you after we're done. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's fine. You know, that's what we all do anyway. Right. Thank you. Appreciate that. Is I know. I mean, I know Gollum. I know the main character, uh, Frodo. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, is yep. you know a lot of people say it's like a jesus you know could be representative of jesus some sort of savior maybe that's a simplistic yeah and... i think hey yeah i can see that i mean his sacrifice and and the way that he's um you know he's literally carrying he's a bearer of in the same way that you bear the cross i guess okay. but uh, you know gandalf the, the wizard has gandalf. a has a saintly possibly christ or godlike yeah at times especially his resurrection he, he he dies and comes back oh shoot well there you go yeah <laughs> that'll do it is yeah. um is, is is gollum from from lord of the rings is there any relation to like yeah the no no not at all not at all, all. Not at all. okay um, Spelled differently. incidentally i write about the jewish gollum quite a bit um huh. but uh in, in my new work that i'm working on it's like he's in the same way the sasquatch works in my Yes. Uh, cool Cradler Head, the Gollum is working in my new one. Ah, okay. Cause um, I definitely want to ask you about Sasquatch. Very interesting in the in who will cradle your head. Okay. I appreciate that. So as you got into high school, college, um, you know, you have the you know, Rutgers and you know, you went to for the MA at Johns Hopkins. Like, who were you reading? Who were some of those writers or books, you know, texts, 
poems themselves, individual texts that just like turned you around, not, not turned you around like you were anti-reading yeah. or anti-literature, but which ones were just yeah. like thrilled you, you know? Um, Angels in America is a play mm -hmm. was fantastic. I think the book that resonated the most with me in college, uh, I wrote my dissertation on it, was um, English Patient by Michael oh, yeah. and Dodge, which is, a, in my mind now, is it's a book of poetry written in prose. Uh, I'm thinking I mean, he's, it has such a poet's voice. And, uh, you know, he, he, he wrote it in sections and kind of clipped them out and, and separated bits and pieces across mm -hmm. the thing to create this pattern okay um and palimpsest of of ideas and and you see the imagery just keep popping up over and over i've read it probably um 20 plus times because of yeah. writing about it and then just loving it yeah um and then you know i read i think the the poems that really stick with me they show up in the in the collection too i think because i love them so much the pablo neruda united fruit company mm. is one that i really liked in in college and then um I really like Elizabeth Bishop hmm. and um, what was the other one? Oh, the Colonel by, by Carolyn Forche okay. um, is, was a favorite. And all three kind of have this quality of the imagery and the political bent of what they're doing. At least Forche and Neruda are doing that mm -hmm. um, a little less with Bishop, depending on the poem, but uh, you know, the way in which they're writing, I think has, stuck with me and and uh influence what i do now yeah great great book po podcast great literary podcast is called uh the stacks podcast and i just happened to see she posted some about um favorite like oral history books and one was about the the history of making angels in america oh cool yeah yeah, yeah. so i i mean i know again i know the general storyline do you feel like some of that writing has like crept into your own you could see some of your poems as like almost like screenplays Mm. You know, screen, yeah. you know, there's a very particular, do you, do you feel like it's more like the themes of those ones you mentioned, Angels of America and others are more like the formatting, the style? I think definitely the attention to imagery. I see what I write. I'm a very visual thinker. Yes. I process visually. Like if you're, if you're giving me a long list of instructions, mm -hmm. I'm like, I can't like even kids, they're coming up to me with their essays, right. In class. And they'll start reading. I'm like, no, I can't, can't do that. You give me the, give me the, the uh, laptop, I need to look at it because sure. uh, I won't be able to process what you're doing. So I think the writing that I do is very visual for that, you know, that reason. And uh, I do like to see things cinematically mm. um, in ways. And then, you know, sometimes the way the, the poems that I'm writing are not just scenes, they're like bits and fragments of scenes mm. and I'll put them together in that way. Mm. Um, but I haven't, my newer stuff kind of deals with um, I do this thing where I have multiple voices speaking to each other. And I think that has a little more of a screenplay quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I'd never thought about it in terms of like, am I taking from uh, drama? I, I have sure. never thought about writing uh, screenplays in that way. Hmm. Uh, I work at a film school and they make oh. films. And, I, you know, for years, my, there was a guy who was always trying to get me to teach screenwriting. And I was just like, that is not my, my genre. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're part of a, I guess, a fraternity of, of writers on, you know, climate change. And just in reading like the afters, you know, this poem mm -hmm. you wrote was after so-and-so. Like, obviously it's not like it just started five years ago, 10 years ago. There's yeah. A, there's a long and storied history, but you know, like Allegra Hyde has her collection of short stories, right? That was so good. So good. Uh, 
right? Allison Hedgecoke is a poet. You know, she was she was nominated for the National Book Award for her poetry collection. Look at all this blue. Look at this blue. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, others that I'm sure you would mention, like who who are you reading now? Whether it's in your you know your vein, quote unquote, which is like climate change and such, and you know that's not to limit your work at all. Yeah. But yeah. like, who are some of those contemporary writers that really that you're like interested in and thrilled to, to read their work? Yeah, I mean, I just finished the Laker Hides collection. I've been reading it bits and pieces and just sure. loved it, loved it, loved yeah. it. I, uh, How about the one with the uh, the one with the motorhomes? Yeah, that's so good. It's I mean, even that the way she just kind of takes her speculative process is so interesting. And I, I do see it. I don't think it influenced mine, but I do see it in the same vein as what I was trying to do, which is taking something that's striking now and then turning it in, into this strange projection of, of, a, of a later. And what does that mean? Yes, how, yes, yes, yes. How does that work? And she does that wonderfully in several. Um, I really liked her her uh, short story, Frights, mm. where where it's, it's written from the perspective of ghosts who then start seeing like habitat ghosts and animal ghosts, just kind of the world coming in as a ghost world because the world's dying. And I thought that was such a wonderfully executed conceit. But, uh, you know, aside from uh, Allegra Hyde's work, I think um, Hyla Ratsabi does really work, good uh, work. There are still woods. The uh, I like Craig Santos Perez's uh, Habitat Threshold okay. within the same vein. I think Meltwater by Claire Womanheim at home is uh, really good and uh, essential reading for that, for eco-poetry. But I, I think, you know, People that I, even if you're if you're talking about the collection, the afters aren't necessarily people that are working in the same vein. It's like I wanted yeah. to borrow and co-opt because one of the things I'm seeing is like you're watching the news; it's getting co-opted by the the strangeness of what's happening. Hmm. Um, and I saw that as like something that's I was trying to do within my work was trying to you know how does how would climate change work within the structures that somebody else built for something completely different. Like yes. United Fruit Company is this poem about anti-capitalism um, and anti-imperialism and uh, Caribbean uh, despots. And I was like, well, what does that look like for oil companies instead? Instead of fruit companies, we have oil sure. companies. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, and you know, I look at people that, are contemporary but not within the vein that I really love and borrow and think about a lot is um you know Diane Seuss. You're a nice blurb, I think, right? Yeah. Yes. I had the I had the oh, guts man. to ask her and she <laughs> she followed through. I was shocked and pleased and <laughs> wonderful. Um yeah, her work all of her work and the way that she kind of it seems effortless, but I'm sure it's not, but the way in which she sort of turns on uh, an image or a metaphor in a way that you're just Oh, I didn't think of it that way. I can, I can write that way. That's interesting. Or um, I think Victoria Chang's use of metaphor is just amazing. Uh, in Obit, really blew me away. Mm. Um, yeah. So, you know, and Ilya Kaminsky's, uh, his understanding of voice, I know he he worked with Carolyn Forche, who I loved earlier on in my reading and so seeing hearing a similar voice i was like okay and he was actually the impetus to write he, wow. when i read when i read deaf republic i was like this is so insistent this has such purpose it is connected to what's going on for Ilya, for ukraine for 
um, his own politics. And I was like, what is that for me? Because I feel like maybe that's what I should be trying to do. I feel like it needs to be because I was writing hodgepodge. It was like, OK, I went for a hike. I'm going to write about that. All right. There's a hornet's nest over. There. Let me write about that. And then I it wasn't until I read Deaf Republic that I started, oh, I can write a collection that's purposeful. Yeah. And then every, every after that, everything started to blunt, you know bend towards yeah that purpose, and that evolved and changed. But that was that's kind of what was pushing me. So cool to see like the family tree, like uh, Forche to Ilya to Bella. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. Not necessarily about climate change, but just a and a shout out to My Dear Vang wrote Yellow Rain. Yeah, just like a collection that that was so freaking good. Yeah, you know, just about like the payments or lack thereof you know the the dirty war of the u.s and cambodia and laos and you know in the vietnam war areas and just the idea of like this like a, a central concept that keeps coming back to in the same way as yours yeah Ooh, and, I, and i would say that my, my dervang and uh anthony cody and um diana coy uh new gwen was uh they're all writing within this very experimental mode mm-hmm. where they're they're bending uh, they're literally either writing around white space, creating white space, or creating a, a like a conflation of of lines where it's no longer it, the text is a is a concrete thing, and uh, you know they're either making shapes or they're playing with shapes, and so that you'll see that actually directly influencing what what I'm doing in the collection as well. I have about oh. five or six poems that yeah, are form poems in that way. So you kind of talked about it already, but maybe any seeds that really got you going for this uh, for this collection? Who will cradle your head? Well, as I mentioned Ilya's uh, Deaf Republic, and I think you know other people that were influencing my thinking around that time. Uh, Jack Bedell's uh, he hasn't published them yet, but I think he's been publishing them piecemeal. But mm. <clears throat> I believe he's finished the manuscript now. The Sasquatch wouldn't exist without his Swamp Thing poems. Uh-huh. Um, I read his his Swamp Thing poems, um, and then I I was editing Marvelous Verses, which is a collection of uh, Marvel poetry, mm. um, and he submitted a uh, a Swamp Thing like poem, um, and it was about climate change. And it was thinking, it was like, how do I use this cryptid, or how do I use this non human lyrical mm. voice to think through something very human? Sure. And, um and then you know a bunch of the way in which todd dillard takes the familiar and makes it surreal um the way in which he uses childlike wonder Mm. certainly affected the way that i was thinking about my own um kids as i was writing and and he i I have a couple after poems in the Mm -hmm. collection from him too yeah i'm always paying so much attention to the last the last the last word of a collection or the last word of a story the last poem of a collection this and the last one was after todd dillard yeah 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 um, I always, I always thought the verb collected was so cool. Uh, Ron Hansen, the the fiction writer, was my professor back in the day. He'd always talk about, oh, they haven't been collected yet, and I was like, what does that mean? So like, were your were these poems collected starting in like 2014, or they've been like recent? Like, it was very fast because I I don't I wasn't writing um, before three years ago. I just started writing, um, and then like like writing overall. Oh, writing overall. Yeah. Dang. I wrote, I wrote in college. I took a long break. COVID hit and I was at home and kind of needed wow. something and poetry came back to me and I, I couldn't read novels. It was like, my brain just could not process something long and sustained and, and poetry was short. And so I started reading whole collections 
And I was like, oh, this is great. And then I started writing and it was awful. And then it slowly got better. And as I got more confident and, and stronger with it, I, I had that moment where I was like, okay, maybe I'll try to write something. I had been trying to put together a chapbook and it wasn't working. And then I wrote a few poems, one of which was the last poem in the collection. Mm-hmm. The other one was the um, the one that's after Ilias. Um, we lived happily during the war. And I was like, okay, maybe this is the thing. Climate change is the thing. And then I spent from that April, which I think was 2020, to the next November 20 uh, of 2020, maybe a little bit after um, into 2021. And then, um, you know, then I just had a collection and I, I, it was like, I was building it and building and building it and just steadily writing. And I I submitted it to ELJ that April, 2021. And then it was, or maybe it's 2022 mixing my years up, but (laughs) yeah, it was 2020. So move all that one year up. So 2021 into 2022 and then 2022, I submitted, wow. and uh, and yeah. Dang, are you like one of those guys that like picks up a video game and you're the best, and you no. best basketball player? You're just without playing, and you know. I I think writing, I'm 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 pretty good, and I'm fast. Um, I edit as I go. Mm-hmm. I um I also once I know what I'm writing, I do it. Um, I I've had that since high school, mm-hmm. when it, whether it was an essay or whether it was um you know, poetry. Hmm. And it's rare. I've only had like two or three poems that I'll spend a long time sort of tinkering with. Most yeah. of them I write in a sitting. I have somebody kind of look at a couple of people look at it, give me some critiques. And then I, I re rework, but I know from the beginning almost that this is going to work or this is not, I'm going to, and I usually abandon it. If it's yeah. not, like I'll just stop after a sentence or two and I'll be like, this isn't the, this isn't the start. And I'll let it just sit in the back of my mind. So I guess I am writing over a couple of days in my head, Yeah, but I'm not, when I, when I sit to write, it's, you know, it's a one sitting sort of thing. And then a few tweaks. The idea of taking a few years off. It's like, I don't know. The analogy, I guess is not the, it's like riding a bike, but something similar, you know? Yeah. I mean, the I taking could. off, I, I couldn't write, I don't think I could have written at all if I had kept doing it consistently because I was writing in college and I was writing very particular types of things that aren't anything like, I mean, you can see seeds of what I'm doing now, but nothing is concentrated. Nothing is uh, as as well done. And I feel like teaching for a decade plus, mm-hmm. reading a lot and then just being older and having a life allows me to have perspective yeah. that I, you know, as a 20 year old, I wouldn't sure. even come yeah. close to anything. Yeah, exactly. So the first poem, I, I don't know if, I mean, it's before the epigraph even. So, yeah. you know, but the first poem or the introduction is after and you know the the she writes so great about about animals and kind of with uh, whimsy almost i'll say help me with the mm-hmm. last name but it's amy nezaku matabzo thank Matabzo-Tabzo. you right and she um you know so the first poem was after her you know we talk about the after there's you know among other people ted kuzer and Layli long soldier i think there's at least two of her and we said uh todd dillard mm-hmm. um do you i guess you kind of already talked about that a little bit but just like do you see do you like seek out muses? I mean, did you seek out like 
I'm going to go read this to stimulate this work? Or was this something that you already knew about well and kind of had lodged in your mind? I think it's a mix. I think some of them, I once I did the Ilya one, I knew that political voices in poetry were going to be useful because I was writing some of them as very political poems. Yeah. Um, I think um, the one that kind of works well with that, I'm trying to think what the other one was that was very political. It's escaping me. It's funny when you talk about your work, you're like, why <laughs> did I write What was it? Um, but the others, I think it, it's because I teach them and uh, I love teaching them and I teach them so much that they become very stuck in my head or I know them very well. Like I've taught United Fruit Company for a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, I've taught uh, the, are all my boyfriends, are all my breakups, are all the breakups in my poems real by Amy Nezuku, Nezuku Um was something that I've taught several times alongside Hamlet because ah. of I teach epistemology with Hamlet and that poem is really interesting in the way that it deals with how do you know what's real and what's not real okay um and so as I was wrapping up this collection I had taught that poem and I was thinking uh maybe that's uh maybe that's in or is is climate because climate people are like is climate change real or all your predictions because I was thinking like this is before this summer Mm-hmm. The summer before you were seeing a little bit of you know the somewhat within uh, i guess a, what you can call a realm, a realm of normal craziness uh-huh. <laughs> um, you know with wildfires they happen all the time to a degree but i was projecting for a year like okay what happens if climate change really happens if it really hits if if tragedy is constant or after it's all we all happened what is that like mm-hmm. and so the question are are all the predictions that you have real is this something that's going to happen uh having taught that poem at the same time that i was dealing with this um uh this thought i was like oh they map onto each other really nicely and and so i it just um made sense that uh to use it it wasn't something i was like i'm going to set out to write my best version of the poem um now I I think it was you know every it it kind of works out this way I really like a poem it's it's a favorite if that happens I usually teach it and then Mm -hmm. in the teaching of it I process it quite a bit yeah and uh, it becomes something I try to emulate well yeah I mean it's like you know there's actually a house in the water in that first poem and it's just you know to me it's like that's what most people it will take most people is like literal you know I mean gosh you know 35 people have died in Lahaina Maui something like that you know, people literally jumping into the ocean, you know, it's like, that's yeah. so many of us, so many people, it's just like, they need like in your face. This summer, yeah. this summer has been it. I mean, the day before Maui, you had the glacier in Alaska jumping into the river and yeah. go over overflowing the banks so aggressively that it pulled, it pulled a house into the river. Um, you know, and that's happening. You have all, all kinds of crazy things happen. And then the day before that, you have a hailstorm in Germany that's so thick that they had to get snow plows out to clear the roads. Jeez. Just, just oh, strange stuff happening. It's just a compilation, right? The the epigraphs talk about, I, I, you know, I, I believe it's a scientist. He's talking about, I know scientists, I don't remember the name, talking about, you know, like minimizing damage so that in 500 years, there's some resemblance, like almost like, you know, it's here. Yeah. We're not talking about when it comes, like it's here. Now it's just about how do we minimize the damage? 
Mm-hmm. And then with uh, with Ovid from the Metamorphosis, I believe, just this idea mm-hmm. of like everything changing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of is kind of your double epigraph. The first poem or second poem, depending on how you look at it, is, is Animal Crackers. Mm-hmm. Just a beautiful line that I'm quoting here. It's a little, little bit longer, but quote, perhaps the difference between accumulation and loss is a matter of proximity and scale. Animals you can't fit in your palm, two-dimensional as, a, as an endangered list. Asian elephant, lowland gorilla. At what point do I stop her? This was your daughter in the poem. Mm-hmm. At what point do I stop her? Tell her this is enough, knowing we will not be satisfied that even our naming, since Adam, is an attempt to live in an unrecognizable world. Even our naming since Adam is an attempt to live in an unrecognizable world. What is it about, about naming, about pointing out these animals, whether that was a true, you know, experience or not, that really makes you think of like the the proximity of this danger? Like, what is it about showing her this animal? Is it that they're not gonna be around much longer or yeah? I mean, the, it's a it's a lot of my poems do this where something real happened and then I tweak it a little bit to make it surreal or I make it connect to what I'm doing so that was a real moment where my daughter was pulling out from a a giant thing of a jug of of uh, animal crackers she's just like well what's this one what's this one what's this one and of course they're not all the endangered list but that's what I started doing in sure. the poem was that all the all the italicized animals are um animals on an endangered list and I thought it was interesting that you know she wants me to name them Adam in, in the biblical references is naming in this sort of celebratory by giving the name, you are giving it life or you're giving it purpose or naming is a part of the creation in, in the mm. same way that the word was God. Right. Mm. So the idea of naming as a list, uh, you know, you have this list of endangered animals. This is the other, this is the Omega, right? At the end by naming them, we remember them, but we are also, making it final that they've gone and so this idea of i've had enough of the naming i've had enough of of this this process because it seems joyful like my daughter's really happy looking at you what's this one eating it this one eating (laughs) and and juxtaposed with this there these are these this is the list and we go see these animals at the zoo and we love them and they're they're beautiful and we're on a nature documentary but they're also there's a, a distinct possibility that they're only going to be on a list at one point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you must be even the cool animal crackers. I've, um, is there that much variety in the animal crackers? I'm trying to think. <laughs> no. Okay. 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 It's the same. It's the same, but it's, I, you know, embellished, obviously. I was like, is this like an East Coast thing or something? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I've said it a few times before in the podcast, I've tried with very little success to write about my kids. It just, it always comes off as, as, uh, you know, saccharine sweet and, or too negative, you know, like too, like, pessimistic i don't know what you didn't say but but you do it really well and like like another one of the poems is time lapse mm-hmm. which is about like you know again with you know daughter whether that's fully her or kind of a culmination culminating uh amalgamation of different characters but kind of watching together quietly i wonder how how different it is to see you know the world as it is now if you were just if you were not a father like what you know there's you know, there's the cheesy stuff about, you know, we want to leave a better gen- you know, world for our generation, but it's the yeah. next generation, but it's true. It's you know, true. Like it, just different how, how this, you know, that poem or this collection is different just as a father, like being a guide for her in life, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. It, the, you, you know, the dedication to the book is to them. Um, 
my two daughter, my two daughters. Um, and that, that, that particular poem is another one that's like animal crackers was true. She, at a certain age, I think kids get, they get caught up in these existential questions <laughs> that are, you know, they seem crazy outlandish, but they're extremely poignant if you want yeah, to. So like, you know, I read that poem over as a, after I wrote it and I'm like, this sounds so forced, but it was so true in that, you know, she asked this question a, a third of the way or two thirds of the way through the poem, you get, how do we die? Mm. And and that's a question that I got a lot Ooh. actually, and this is a you know again we're in the middle of the pandemic um, outbreak and it's a it's something we you know couldn't avoid talking about to a degree, um, but she's also was I think she was at the time she was four, and so yeah. the awareness of death as a possibility becomes more and more real and comes through in different ways. Um, and so that was something that, you know, thinking about climate change, it became, it, they became the way of, you You said, you know, how do I guide them as a father? But they guided me as a way of thinking hmm. because of the way in which they're just, they're coming at it, not from a, a an utter fear of death, but more of a, a wonderment of what sure. is this? Not jaded, not cynical. Right. What is this? I need to know about it. And, and yeah. so that became one of the ways in which I wrote about, you know, even just what I'm seeing, thinking through, thinking through the poems in this way that allows wonder to stay, even though I'm writing about something that's incredibly awful and mm. possibly traumatic and, uh, you know, grief laden, but the wonder is a nice juxtaposition to that. You think about, you know, I, I had gone to a couple of funerals before writing the collection my grandmother died about a year before I really started writing this stuff and you go to a funeral with your children they don't quite understand what's going on necessarily depending on their age but they also become this wonderful balm to everybody there and a mm -hmm. reminder that things move on it's a cycle right and you have your child that that um you know provides levity provides um beauty and provides more life in this other way, right? Mm. It's like, you're not, your life isn't extended, but they are an extension of a family. Mm -hmm. So doing, you realize like, it's not over, it's just carried on. Mm. Um, and so that that became like a driving force of what I was doing, not not just the, and I do think like, I have, I, tr I trouble over the the idea of thinking that my my collection or any great collection of, you know, much better collection of, of uh, climate poetry is going to create the change we need in this scenario. Uh, I think I'm more speaking through ideas and, and feelings around it, but you know, I did, I am thinking like, well, what is, how do we raise awareness or how do we think through? Cause I wanted to look at the idea of climate change head on. I didn't want to, it to just be this quick rant or, um, this quick loss. I really wanted mm -hmm. to think through in the same, cause I think I was, you know, I was grieving my grandmother. I was grieving everything that was going on with, with COVID too. Um, you know, in Queens, we had the sirens like right outside mm -hmm. my window for months and months and you could see the morgues as we're driving by. And so it was ever present. Mm -hmm. So I used climate change, I think as a vehicle to think mm -hmm. through what I was feeling in that way too. Yeah. 
some some poignant lines um, from I don't know Theseus. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah. The poem was the ship of Theseus. You know, he was the founder of Athens and coined a myth. He, quote: How long do we have before we forget what we replaced? How long do we have before we forget what we replaced? Some similar ideas what you were talking about there and youth and cycles of life and remembering and putting names to Sasquatch ponders the season of decay. I think is the first one with Sasquatch. Mm -hmm. And and like you said, there's five or six with Sasquatch, you know, as a, you know, as a hairy Italian, you know, it's hairy Italian. (laughs) I've often been called, you know, some similar, you know, Sasquatch ish type of thing. (laughs) But you know what the, the first one is like, he's pondering the loss of the pygmy rabbit. In these years of twilight, I understand that to decay is to be unsettled in your return. Each cycle of diminishment, that idea of each cycle of diminishment is not quite as much as it was before. But I guess just, uh, and then beautiful line, when the last tree falls, will I be, will I be there to hear it? Mm-hmm. Who's Sasquatch talking to? <laughs> I guess kind of where the inspiration, you talk about the inspiration, but why, I don't know, why Sasquatch? Is, yeah. he, is he like an objective figure because he's not human, like you said, an outsider? Yeah. Great questions. It came about somewhat organically in that my daughter, like the people you were talking about for yourself, I'm I'm a pretty hairy guy as well. <laughs> and, uh, my daughter was like, You're you're like Bigfoot, Dad. And then and I I've gotten that. Right. And so I I was looking for a mechanism through which I could talk about the future, even though I'm not there yet. And I was looking for a way of thinking somewhat objectively, like I've had friends say that Sasquatch and the Gollum in my new work is, is this lurker, right? This person mm-hmm. that's kind of me, but not me. Sure. What I, what I like about that is it allows me to kind of, it gives me a little bit of a buffer from thinking about myself and instead thinking of myself as a character in the situation. Right. And then from that, you know, I add the elements that make him Sasquatch. Um, and I started thinking through well, what's the, what's this like? And I, why Sasquatch and why does it work for me? I think I, um, I like it because, you know, people question whether he's real, he's mythological, mm. he's, he's possibly out there. And until pretty recently, um, people felt the same way somewhat about climate. Sure. Um, and so I and I like the idea of like instead of the typical like the road by Cormac McCarthy, mm. right? We have instead of you have the father and the son walking the road, you have this Sasquatch alone, non-human, thinking about a human world that's lost. And what I liked about that too is it it lacked the humans in a lot of the poems that I'm writing, even my own that are about me and my daughters. There's a complicity, like we're a part of the society that's killing things. Right. And just by default, not on any sure. conscious level. And the Sasquatch isn't, but in my rendering, it's like he's able to think through in a way that, you know, if I was to do this from, I would be anthropomorphizing an animal if I was doing it mm-hmm. in any other way. But Sasquatch provide that sort of middle ground of, yeah, that makes sense. Not, not human, not animal. Mm-hmm. Um, in a voice because i when i write about animals i try really hard not to anthropomorphize them i i i don't want them to be projections of humans i want them to be themselves Mm -hmm. um and from that i can um 
you know, that way we can, you know, respect them for what they are now that rather than versions of ourselves. Even when the dog takes a leak on the rug, <laughs> be yourself. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's the dog. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That brings up the Lely Long Soldier after her. And it's, it's a diamond poem. I don't know. It's probably a better mm-hmm. term for it. Yeah. I don't, right. I don't know if there's a term for it, but okay. she's got one called Obligations. And, and what's cool about it is it has, the structure is like a single word and then two words and then three words. Right. And then it goes back down to two words to like pyramid, one, I guess, more than diamond. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And what, it, what it does is it, you can choose what direction you go from the first word. The first word is your first word, obviously, but the second one can be one of the other two underneath mm-hmm. it and so on. And so mine, I expanded it a little bit and then just create, you can kind of zigzag yeah. in whatever way you want. It kind of has a, a diff, slightly different message or the same message, depending on how you're doing it. And it ends with the one word. Yes. Yeah, so cool. So a couple of examples would be like, as we watch the earth tremble or as we deny the sea expanse, as we watch the sky flicker, you know, those are just a couple of examples. I was, you know, you definitely have me on the Wikipedia rabbit hole, like Gastoranthus extinctus. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a, this is a flower that was thought to be extinct, but was not. Yeah. Thanks for it. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, which is so cool that, you know, there's obviously a lot of the same ideas you're talking about now. Like there's, there's at least some, some slivers of hope. Um, but mm-hmm. also not making the same mistake, not being like, oh, cool, it's still around. Like, let's continue to ignore it and neglect it, you know. But just talking about form, like, so one of the poems is avoiding mal maladaptation. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a cube. And it's, you know, words going all over the place in the mm-hmm. cube, um, you know, written backwards, etc. You have a few other poems that are like you were talking about earlier, you know, that are like ink, ink blots almost. They're, you know, mm-hmm. on top of each other and ideas of, you know, space. How are you able to so successfully use, you know, form rather than just like as a gimmick, but as like a, as a vehicle? I was trying to play around for one. I took a, a class with um, Dinah Coy Nguyen and I thought it was, you know, I really like her work and I like Anthony Cody's work a lot. Um, and I, I thought, what can be done in that way? And what would all the words in in all those poems that you just mentioned they're come they come from some of them are single word adaptation but some of them are lines like the cube is a lines from the um ipcc's report on climate so that uh-huh. the, the international um climate report that was basically saying this is how we adapt or we don't and um i was just taking lines or or uh, phrases from that and it was rattling around in my head and for me it was hard to process i mean this is a a five-page report given to policymakers in order to do something. And even then it's super dense and written in this sort of scientific jargon. And I was like, how do I make something from this? I can't make something from this. And then I was like, well, it just is, it just exists. And so within that, I was like, well, what if I just create a form that matches what I'm, what I'm thinking but in ways that are inscrutable. And so what ended up happening was I I, um, I started thinking of like starlings um, and the way that starlings move and and they murmur, right? And they, okay. they create like, so they'll, they'll get into these thousands flocks and, uh, of starlings and they'll create these patterns and movements that are gorgeous. And you have no idea why or how they're capable of doing it. And they're just as inscrutable as what I was trying to read. 
And so I was like, well, what if I just took adaptation, which is this like, okay, we need to adapt. We need to adapt this urgency, but how do I do that? How do we do that? Right. And I still don't know. And it made it seem like, well, this is a a primal urge that we have to do. Let me make it look like a starling cloud. And so I did that. And that's what those Uh, ink blot looking ones. And then, you know, as I started playing with it, it became like, well, let me write about the, in the shape of a, it looks like a hurricane with an eye, or it looks like a Nautilus shell. Um, and so I started bending lines to, to look like things. Um, I have one that's in the shape of um, a honeycomb because I was thinking mm-hmm. about bees dying and that became yeah. a motif. That was and, interesting, the bee part. Yeah. And so the bees are are bee you know, something that a lot of eco poets write about for obvious reasons. And I wanted to do it in a way that was, again, dealing with that inscrutable and the line, the words used within it or just about a risk assessment from that mm-hmm. report. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, I think that's the success part of the success is just that they're so, they're so vanilla and they're just objective, practical adaptation has its benefits, conditions of development, you know, just very dry. That's what we're looking for. Yeah. You know, there's definitely themes of, you know, we talk about like hope for the, with the next generation in that Gastoranthus extinctist, one of the lines is, quote, but I don't want to grieve for the planet anymore. Scientists, new ones, rediscover thriving flowers untouched by sprawl or the cancer in my father's veins, a premature, premature nostalgia. Just the idea of the next generation being with the next generation. There's a beauty in death if you learn how to not look for it. Yeah. That's from another poem. So the anthro anthropocene era is basically like the era that where scientists have said that human behavior influences weather and such is that yeah. safe to yeah. say yeah just we right. we we are the planet is bending around us mm-hmm. yeah and so i mean in, in in the with the subject matter it could easily be seen as like you know trying to live in the moment is kind of like you know what are we doing but it's like we have to at times we have to live in the moment that's all we can do as humans right yeah. while looking at the future it doesn't mean we can't enjoy you know, yeah. so, you know, trying not to think of the future is, is a human, is a human, um, not need, but a human, um, the reflex for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Definitely ideas of connectedness. Um, I love the idea of the energy given by those bees. Like there was something about like a bee will lay its life down and the other one can take its scent and, you know, keep going. Mm-hmm. Right. Energy given transferred less from a poem, climate models, um, nostalgia. Do you see nostalgia? You know, there's like the time lapse videos we talked about. Oh yeah. man, one of my favorites was New. I think it was called New Florida. Yeah, the divers, New- the divers in New Florida. So, it's a totally new reality with like it's kind of like the Golden Girls serves as the archaeological reality. Yeah, like you know, scientists down the road will be exploring that. And this idea, shoot, that there needs to be a New Florida. I mean, yeah. Florida does seem to be ground ground you know ground zero for like falling off the Everglades or done, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I got to think you had a little bit of fun with that one though, with the golden girls one. Yeah. That, I mean, I was thinking through, um, well, what, what would that be like if the goal, if the if Florida goes and, and the first to go would be like the Miami area, it's already dealing with the effects of yeah. sea, sea level rise. And I don't know that it'll fully do it. So it's like, okay, what happens if, if everything really 
the sea level rises quite a bit and half of Florida is gone and you have people kind of diving down to look at what's down there. And I thought of Golden Girls for some reason. And I just, okay, that's interesting. Well, you also have like the sound of the canned, I thought of canned laughter and then the, yeah. the, the, the oxygen tanks that are on their backs. And I was like, okay, that's a cool juxtaposition. Let me play it with is. that. And so they're kind of thinking through the reality. Um, and then I just thought about, well, who, what are the Golden Girls? They're these retirees that go to Florida and they're thinking about how great it is. And, you know, they obviously didn't last, but neither did the the greatness of the place that they went to. And Yeah. Towards the end of the collection, there's a line about quote, resetting the gene that is dormant. Mm -hmm. Do you see like nostalgia as like, hey, we can't, do you see nostalgia in the negative sense as far as, you know, like make America great again type of nostalgia? Or do you see it as like, let's, let's think of the good times. Let's think of what worked before. Let's use that. So I, I was thinking in terms of, well, if, with nostalgia specifically, I think it, nostalgia can be a trap where you're too busy looking to something that you miss to think about what either the present or the future could be. Mm. And I think thinking about climate change is such a weird trippy thing because you're thinking about your present, but you're thinking about your present in terms of what is the distant future going to be, or you're thinking about the distant future to understand what's going on now. Right. Versus what happened before. And it, you're, you're time traveling in your mind. And mm -hmm. so nostalgia becomes, and, you know, even that process, the word, that premature nostalgia they talk about in that one poem is me thinking about, I, you know, anticipatory grief is I'm thinking in the future about something I'm going to lose, but I haven't lost yet. And so I'm feeling the loss, even though I haven't lost it. Yeah. So it's a premature nostalgia, which is a trap as well. And so I think, you know, the doom and gloom that climate discussions can lead to, you can't get too stuck in that trap. You need to have some sort of element yeah. with the reset of resetting the gene that lies dormant that was a weird poem that i wrote based off of a new york times article about mm. these salamanders that they're they re basically reset their genes and and some of them lost mm. their legs and some of them you know and and then afterwards they their progeny regain their legs so they're able to like change their uh, genetic code to do what they needed to do okay. um you know jurassic park life will find a way but mm. I was thinking in terms, because we get all this, those, we have this Sasquatch that's kind of walking through the apocalypse and gain, and it has this dignity of humanity that's no longer left. And so, so thinking about it is like, well, how do I, how do we retain that? How do we get back to that? Maybe it's simple, as simple as, you know, existence itself and, you know, resetting the gene so that we're not falling into our own traps and then we have the final poem which is rewind kind of thinking through well, what i wish that we could you know just rewind it all which we can't so the, you have these two kind of like strange poems that are dealing with um well it's it's on its the process is on its way i want to stop it somehow they're they're you know wish fulfillment in some strange way but also thinking through like how does a Sasquatch end up walking and talking for all of us? Um, well, maybe he's some sort of gene that we've lost. Hmm. Well, you know, like the famous quote about like the opposite of hate is not love, but indifference. Mm -hmm. You know, like you, you have a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, the one poem is called the possibility of grief, which is such a great title and just, you know, feeling, cause you, you write about other times where it's like, you know, this idea of being frozen by all of our choices, by all the fear 
it's like, and then we end up doing nothing. Yeah. Right. Which is obviously, you know, pretty much the story of climate change in so many ways. And there's another line that's great is numbness belongs in the family of pain. Mm -hmm. Aware that in, in our paralysis is an ending. That's, I guess, what I was getting at. In our paralysis yeah. is an ending. In our paralysis is a choice to not make a choice, you know, things like that. Yeah. There's the poem that's the eruption, which is like, where seemingly to me, it seems like the indifference like turns to like a literal smoke and ash and right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the collection is all me trying to like, there are people that are, I think indifference for me is the most complicit that yeah. people. So you have the, the person that's, you know, I just want to eat an avocado or I just want to have a, you know, a nice drink or um, you have this guy who doesn't, you know, it's happened before and you have people that are like, well, the ice age, you know, climate change has happened thousands of years ago they're either deniers in some political ploy or they're they're literally just i just want to have fun or right. i just want to live my life now because what am i going to do i'm just one person and so i i find that attitude to be one of the most detrimental so those are even though they're not overtly political i see them as as such because they're they're dealing with a, a mindset that i i'm mm -hmm. trying to push against politicians discussing climate change is literally the title yeah you know, we were run out of names for windswept clouds and coasts battered our arms battered and coast battered our arms tired comma tied uh i guess that's i was gonna ask you about this i think you kind of got to this like whether you see the idea of the arms being tired is more detrimental or the words or do you feel like our arms are tied or that our arms are tired is that why we're not making progress i i think there's with the politicians they believe their our hands are tied we're stuck in a system that we can't move too fast right Inclement, incremental change uh-huh the markets, the economy, no one wants to, you know, I think there have been moves that are, people are making, but I don't think that they're, they're certainly not thinking as radically as no, I would. Not, not systems, right? Yeah. Right. And so I think there's a tide, they're tied within the system. And then there's the tiredness of people trying to batter against that. Mm -hmm. And so neither, I, neither yeah. is a great existence mm -hmm. and neither of them is le leading to anything. You get the people to protest and you get the people that, stay adamant or you know ignorant and yeah there yeah. needs to be a a way to end that log jam i don't know if i'm using the east coast slang correctly but not for nothing or you know not not basically not related to anything but there's this what former landfill in long island that's now like a nature reserve is yeah, it come Santa on they couldn't, they couldn't think of a better title it's called fresh kills yeah so the like dutch, dutch or something like that the ah, dutch okay. yeah okay. so there's all these places in in new york and uh up up in the Hudson Valley that have kills. Yeah. And it's because there's a funny story. There was, um, there's an area in the Hudson Valley called Fishkill and there's a prison there and somebody was protesting it because they're like, why are you killing fish? Or, you know, they, they mm. didn't understand that kills meant yeah. river. And so fish kills is not at all. It's just a fish filled river, I guess, but okay. fresh kills, What's ironic about it is, you know, it's a this giant, it was probably the biggest landfill in the city at one point. Mm -hmm. And now it's overgrown. It's, you know, it's been uh, let alone and it's overgrowing with um, vegetation and some of it invasive species. And um, the word fresh there, you know, is pretty ironic because it's, yeah. um, you know, it's a landfill, but it's also mm -hmm. fresh because it's freshly regrown. I have this theme that, you know, there's a poem in there called Restoration where, I imagine what would it be like if everything just kind of we were gone and the world could be left to its own devices to reset. Yeah. 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 And, like um, you know, fresh kills is kind of there in that vein with 
Sasquatch walking around and seeing it. Put you on the spot here. I didn't prepare you, but um, if I put it on the screen, would you would you be able to read the couple lines that are that have the title within them? Sure. Yeah, better from the poet's voice himself. Who will cradle your head? What imprint will be left as mustard grass and clover spread like muslin over loss? I trace these green recesses like a scar's braided renewal, shading our grief, which is also hope. A weave, which is memory, but also love. Dang. Back in the day, the students, students used to have to like diagram a sentence. That'd be like, which is also, which is also, but I love it, which is also hope, a weave, which is memory, but also love. Who will cradle your head? Did, did that line, you know, why was that the title? Was that a line that came up early with? And and again, kind of like, who is this the you being the the next generation? Is this being all of us, the 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 the, the general you? Yeah, I, I mean, it's this poem was not a Sasquatch poem to begin with. It was one of the earliest poems I got published. Mm. Um, and it was just about fresh kills. It was just called fresh kills. And um, so the who will cradle your head was something that just came out of the writing of it. And, you know, right before that, the, the speaker's foot hits a car, hits a doll's head and a car seat that are, you know, embedded in the, in the, the, um, the landfill right? in the landfill yeah. and it become i as as i was writing the thing i was like oh, this is a sasquatch poem because he's thinking through like you know it does the same work as the other ones where it's dealing with this projection and this sort of dignified voice and the who will create your head as a title for me it, it's a way of thinking about okay if you're grieving who's going to hold you if you're a child, who's going to hold you? If you're, if everybody's gone, no one can hold you. If so, it's like thinking through like all the themes that are going on in this book with father and daughter, or future and past, and or present. You know, how are we dealing? How are we understanding it? Who will cradle your head becomes a question that we ask ourselves. If if I'm not here for my child, who will cradle her head? Right. If if she grows into a world where she can't have children or she doesn't want to have children who will, you know, no one's head will get cradled. So you have these, these different iterations of this impulse that I was feeling, which was we need to be there for each other and we need to be intimate in this, you know, caring way with each other. And, but who will do it if we're not willing to do it? And I see that, you know, as the, the opposite of the indifference isn't necessarily the love that um, we would think about. I think it's this kind of love that who mm. will create that, that caring, um, yeah. um, you know, that doting sort of, I'm going to hold my child love. Yeah. One of the beautiful and resonant images, you're definitely an image, image poet, um, great title and great image. What I would be, I'm interested in what maybe you're working on for the future. If you want to share anything. Yeah, I have an, another manuscript that I'm I'm sending out. I'm trying to get, uh, it has nothing to do with climate change mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's more thinking through a lot of different things, but I, I would say it's it's kind of a, a little bit of memoir, a little bit of philosophy, a little bit of pop culture, thinking through what does it mean to be Jewish? Mm -hmm. My uh, My father's Jewish, my mother's not. It's been something that, 
as a little kid was something that I thought a lot about and mm. um, felt troubled by like, can I make a choice there? Should I make a choice? Do I have to make a choice mm. or how will people see me if I do? And, and so that, that is um, something I think through a lot in that, that um, but I'm also doing sort of a historical look at, at things, um, you know, generationally. Right. So um, in the way that, this poem, this book collection is thinking through generations beyond the other, mm-hmm. the other book is thinking back. I'm, you know, I'm, I do ancestry.com to try to find um, where I come from. And, and my, my aunt who recently passed away was very into it. And I was talking to her a lot. And so her passing and her passing along, she gave me like a yeah. giant um, bag of paraphernalia that came from the family. And so I was doing kind of digging in that way and thinking through like what does that mean for me what does that mean to just exist within that those feelings um yeah and there's a golem that uh again is a lurker but Uh, thinking through i see the golem in that case and a couple of them are already published um the golem is thinking in the ways in which i was i never went to um i'm not a practicing religious person and so i don't have that identity but I tried in different ways as a young kid in high school and college to read in ways that gave me an identity. And, mm. um, you know, I'd read Jewish philosophy or I'd read Jewish history or I'd watch a movie and the Gollum is doing that now in these, in these poems uh, and the Gollum is thinking like the Gollum looking at Mark Chagall's paintings and what does he see mm. um, is me thinking through like, how do I have an identity? Wow. Really cool sounding and good luck with, as you continue with that, E-E-L-J, am I getting the initials right? Um, E-L-J. E-L-J editions. Yeah. So, so I, I, you know, I'll, I'll post all the links. You can buy it, you know, from the website. Do you have any particular, um, you know, places online or in real life? Or, well, online is real life, but. Right, right now. Um, so SPD is the distributor, but I think they are currently out of copies. ELJ is the best place, or I believe Amazon has like maybe 11 copies. Okay. Left. But who's um, counting? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm i a bit obsessive in that way. I have I have a few copies left, but I'm going to some readings and hopefully yeah. um, offloading those. But I'd, I'd say ELJ probably has the most copies left um, until we get another run and uh, that they're the best people to go to. Awesome. And your, um, you know, last name is with one L B E L O F F. Are you pretty easy to find online? Yeah. Yeah. I'm on, I'm on Twitter, um, promoting and on, on Instagram, Twitter's at, uh, read underscore instead. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and Instagram is Jared underscore W underscore Belloff. W like a middle initial. Are you saying like read instead, instead of yeah. cooking read, or are you saying read instead this book? Uh, a bit of both, a bit of both. I, I, I was in, I was in Boston, uh, I guess Cambridge and I was walking around there was this vintage shop and there was an old, like, it looked like a suitcase that had a book, uh, a TV in it. I guess they made those kinds of things. And then somebody painted on front read instead. And I read yeah. more than I watched television. And so I was like, that's, that's nice. my one. Nice. Nice. Well, yeah, again, I'm kind of like, I, I honestly didn't know this was your first work. I thought, you know, you've been working for a few years and just kind of getting back into writing. It's an incredible debut. It's an incredible just book in general, collection in general. Congrats. Enjoy your last month or so of, of freedom. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Before, enjoy the last month boning up, getting ready for school. And uh, yep. thanks again for talking to me.
And thanks for having me. Such a pleasure. Thank you for listening to episode 199, A Wonderful Conversation with Jared Beloff. You can now subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. You can also ask for it by name using Alexa and find it on Stitcher, Spotify, and on Amazon Music. Follow me on Instagram where I'm at Chills at Will Podcast or on Twitter where I'm at Chills at Will PO1, the digit one. Sign up now for the Chills at Will Podcast Patreon. It can be found at patreon.com backslash Chills at Will Podcast Peter Real. Check out the page that describes the benefits of a Patreon membership, including cool swag and bonus episodes. Thanks in advance for supporting my one-man show, my DIY podcast, and my extensive reading, research, editing, and promoting to keep this independent podcast pumping out high-quality content, of which there have been 199 episodes. This is a passion project of mine, a DIY operation, and I'd love for your help in promoting what I'm convinced is a unique and spirited look at an often ignored art form. The intro song for the Chills of World podcast is Wind Down Instrumental, and the other song played on the episode was Hoops Instrumental by Matt Whitehour, and both songs are used through archesaudio.com. Please tune in for episode 200 with Adam Vicavage, who is the founder of Debut Full, a website and podcast where readers can discover debut authors. The podcast was named one of the best book podcasts by Book Riot, Town & Country, and Los Angeles Review of Books in 2022. Adam's criticism and interviews have been also featured in Electric Literature, Pace Magazine, Literary Hub, Phoenix New Times, among others. This episode, number 200, will air on August 22nd. For now, thanks again for listening. I hope that these uncertain days bring you texts by writers with mad skills, like Jared Beloff, whose work, like Who Will Cradle Your Head, gives you chills at will. Thank you.